You're listening to episode 265 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a human connection coach, speaker, and mental health advocate with an insatiable sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using the power of stories to teach, learn, and grow. It's about allowing for room to grow, and this podcast focuses on three main pillars, human connection, personal growth, and freedom. We cover topics like relationships and cultivating genuine supportive connections with ourselves and others, speaking your truth, shattering personal barriers, radical self-acceptance, and courageously leaning into your skill sets. Whether it's a solo episode or bringing on highly curated guests with incredible stories, experiences, and expertise to share, we're leaning in and taking the entire idea of growth to the next level, all while still covering the uncomfortable topics that many of us like to avoid. There's always more room to grow. Let's do this. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. Emily Goff here, your host. And today is so special because we are bringing on Sylvester McNutt III. He is just an incredible guy. I've been following his work for a while. I love his books. I love the content that he puts out, the videos, the way he teaches. He just has an incredibly powerful way of speaking and describing what he what he's talking about in such a way that makes it really really easy to understand. And Sylvester is a best-selling author of 8 books. He's a speaker, he's a father. His current mission is to invite people into their healing, into their boundaries. He's very well known for teaching about boundaries <laughs> and into a higher vibration. This was just so refreshing because Sylvester is is truly a breath of fresh air. He is honest. He speaks with vulnerability from a really genuine place and just has an incredibly deep, beautiful understanding of the human experience. And we're getting into a huge amount on this episode. This episode is a little bit longer than what I typically do. And normally uh, any interview gets cut off at an hour, but I was having so much fun with him that we just kept going. And this episode is also a little bit unique because I wanted to do something a little bit different with Sylvester and I decided to play the card game. We're not really strangers with him. (laughs) So for anyone who's been following this podcast for a while, you or, or following me on social media over at Emily Goff coach, you may have seen me talk about this card game before. I love it. I've even used it on Instagram lives once in a while, but I've never actually really played it with anyone on the air, especially not on the podcast. And you can, if you want to check out the game, uh, please go check it out in the show notes, or you can check out their Instagram account as well. It'll all be uh, referenced over there. But this was just really fun. So we we did uh, some very organic um, conversation that I was asking him questions about things that he was talking about. And we also started off a few questions with cards from the We're Not Really Strangers deck. So that was all kinds of fun too. And we're getting into so many different things here that the power of introspection. Um, introspective is actually one of the first words that I think of when I think of Sylvester now, especially after having to have the opportunity of, of getting to chat with him for a little bit longer as well. Um, he's, he's incredibly introspective in the best possible ways. And it shows, it really, really shows in, in beautiful ways. Uh, he's talking to us about honoring your most important relationships and the people you care about the most, the fullness of love and life and allowing it to be expansive and not necessarily attaching to the idea of, of love to a specific person, but to the feeling itself. He's talking to us about living in the present moment and sharing with us around uh, his own self-love journey and, and how 
There can be new ways coming up all the time to bring compassion to yourself. Um, he's even telling us about unpacking his subconscious relationship to money. We have a really interesting conversation about that and the often negative mindset and associations we can hold around money, how to receive and accept compliments and why that is so important, not just for you, but also for the person gifting you with the compliment. He has such a great example and, and story, personal story that he shares around that. Uh, looking at the lies we tell ourselves and learning to be radically honest with ourselves and with those around us, and the importance of community and building a support system. This is such a fantastic episode. I, I'm not going to make this intro any longer because it's already a longer than usual episode, but buckle up, uh, be prepared to take some notes. You might want to listen twice because it's that good. <laughs> Let's do this. Sylvester, I am so pumped to have you on, and I think we're just going to have a blast. So first, Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then we're diving into uh, playing a game. I've never done this with a guest before. We're just going to dive in. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you first. <laughs> I think who you are and what you do is uh, <clears throat> it can often bring up the past because you're like, oh, well, over the last 12 years I've done. And, you, and then you list all these accomplishments and everything. So yeah, let's just go with like who I am today in this moment, like since this morning, because that's about the past that I care about the most. Uh, so when I woke up, I met with my therapist and, you know, it's always wonderful to talk to a therapist. I think uh, I think we live in a world where there's a lot of individualism and then there's a lot of just we're chasing goals and we're chasing dreams and we're chasing status. But we're not allowed. We're, we're, we're chasing ascension, but we don't really allow ourselves to descend to like go in. And it's important for me to meet with my therapist because. I have a lot, a lot of thoughts and a, a, a lot, I'm a very heart centered guy. So I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of emotions. I have a lot going on, uh, good, bad, and different. However, a person wants to label it, but I just don't feel inclined to handle everything that happens or that I observe on my own. You know, in fact, I would say that's part of the problem that people have with just, you know, mental health or goals or whatever it is, is we're trying to do it all on our own, you know? And I think, I just think it's so beautiful to allow yourself to be seen and to be witnessed by other people. Uh, so just waking up and, and having the therapist there, you know, that's awesome. But before that, I got to hang out with my son. I'm a new dad. You know, my son is one, one, one in like a month now, one in a couple of weeks. And uh, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like being a father, being a parent is like insane because I never even thought I was going to be a parent. I never imagined it. But to just have this little boy who, you know, he's got his own heart, he's got his own soul, but he's like, he's also a little bit of me or he's a lot of me, but he's also just like his own person. And, and just to like watch him grow. He's at this phase now where he no longer wants to be strapped into his chair and he wants to stand up on his chair doing breakfast. And it's like, I'm sitting there eating with him and half of me is like, tell him to sit down, tell him to sit down because you need to sit down to have breakfast. But then the other half of me is like, well, I mean, he's not really hurting anything by standing up. You know, he might fall and hurt himself, but that's, you know, that's his life. Like I gotta let him experience that. So, you know, as a parent, I'm learning, how to let the kid fully experience, you know, his experience, but then also like, uh, when do I step in and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that or let's let's sit down. So like, I'm learning that balance of, I guess my parenting style, am I the, am I the disciplined parent? Am I the fun parent? 
I don't know. I think I'm I think I'm half, probably half and half right now. So I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I had a great lunch. And the reason why that's important, a lot of people have shame around food. And so I want to bring that up. Um, I too am one of those people that has had shame around food. And so I actually hired a dietitian, uh, nutritionist, whatever. I'm not sure what the right phrase is for her, but um, and part of that was, you know, I have a good, and I think most people do, I have a good understanding of nutrition from a, like a worldly level, but for my specific body, I never had. So that's why I hired her because I wanted, what does my specific body need? Especially this day and age, you, you look online, you have actual doctors arguing on social media about who should fast, who shouldn't fast, keto, vegan, you like, you, you have all these options from a food perspective. And you see people who are quote unquote professionals actually arguing about it. So if you're not a professional on this and you're looking to them for guidance, where do you find yourself? You find yourself probably a little confused and lost, right? So I just said, you know what? I don't care what's happening outside. I have to, you know, descend. I have to go inward. So I hired a dietitian that I can meet with. Who, and we just talk about what my body needs. And that, I mean, it's only, I'm only two weeks in. But I just feel lighter in every sense. Like I actually feel like my body is getting lighter. I feel emotionally lighter. Um, the thinking of like, oh, what am I going to eat? Well, when am I going to do this? And it's just like, I don't have to do that now. She made me the plan. It's, it's like when you used to go to school and you get there and like the lunch is already, like they have the whole month schedule made, you know, at school. It's like, oh, that's what, well, when's pizza day? It's every Friday, right? So it's like, I already know my schedule, so I don't even think about eating anymore. I don't think about food. I know like what time I'm going to eat. I know what I'm going to eat because she did all that work for me. So it, who I am in this moment, I'm a dad who's learning. Uh, I'm a client, you know, who's freeing. Uh, I'm a human who's learning. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful for the opportunity to, to speak with your podcast. What a beautiful introduction. I think that's one of the most beautiful introductions I've ever had on this podcast because I, I do um, I do think that we so often get sucked down the rabbit hole of like, what do you do? And I always actively try to not ask that question instead kind of ask things like, what's lighting you up? Or what are you really excited about right now? Or anything like that? Because I, I also just really appreciate your introspective nature because everything that you just mentioned is said from... A place of deep reflection and introspection and, and figuring out how all of these pieces fit into your life in the best way, which I think is something that a lot of us miss. We skip over that part because it, it feels like too much. It feels, it feels like unnecessary and we're too busy with our to-do list instead. So I love that. That's really beautiful. Are you, are you excited to dive into We're Not Really Strangers? Because I am. <laughs> Let's, go. Let's go. Let's go. All right. What lesson took you the longest to unlearn? Oh shit. <laughs> we don't That's fuck around on here. <laughs> uh, okay, how do they say on the game show? Can you repeat the question, please? Of course, of course. <laughs> what lesson took you the longest to unlearn? Mm. My brain, my brain defaulted to what am I currently unlearning? And hmm. The number one thing that I personally had to currently unlearn um, was my subconscious relationship to money. 
Mm. I had to unlearn my 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 perceived connection to to worthiness to money. I've been in business for ten years as an entrepreneur, and you know when you're an entrepreneur, you set your own price with whatever you're doing, whether it's a, a product, service, meeting, whatever you're doing, you set your own price, and. I think for 10 years, I set my price too low. For what I bring to the table, for the transformations that I have given people, for the frameworks that I've taught people, for the stages that I've been on, for the books that I've written, for the energy that I've brought to people, for the amount that I've changed, the, the amount of people that I've changed and inspired and taught from a, from a monetary perspective, I actually think everything has been too low. And so the next 10 years is like, okay, maybe you undercharge the first 10 years. So now the question is, how are you going to quote unquote, as they say, get what you're worth, quote unquote? Well, that only happens once you make a radical mindset change. And in order for that to happen, it's, it's really not even a change. It really is a you have to kill your old ego, your old self, that old identity. You literally have to, you have to honor that person, but you also have to kill that person, right? And then uh, my therapist, Francis Waller, he says it's, you know, when you're in that limit, it's a liminal space, meaning you're in transition. So when you're in, in transition of any type of death, you're in transition of birth as well. So as I'm killing the part of me that's undercharging, I'm also allowing the part of me that's going to get what I'm worth to be born. And so those processes for me are happening simultaneously. Uh, and that's been, it's been like a three-year journey, I feel like. And um, this year, I feel like is like the closure of that, where I feel like I'm, 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 I'm like right where I wanna be. I'm like right there. There's just a little bit more work I need to do. I'm not sure what it is yet. I think I'm doing it, but I, uh, I need a little bit more work that's gonna get me like right over that edge where like old me has completely died and knew me as like just fresh baby that's like looking to learn how to live in this new world where you are literally not going to settle for anything less than exactly what you deserve. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's such a powerful issue that so many of us have to deal with, especially as entrepreneurs, because then there's so much tied up with our worth and the money. And then there's the energetic perspective that if we're undercharging, then that's reflected in the energy that we're able to output as well. And we have to unpack so many old stories around that, that were handed to us. We didn't, we didn't necessarily ask for those stories. They were just bred into us. And there's a lot of layers <laughs> with that. I'm not surprised because I, I too am in that journey of unpacking the, the money stories and tying those two things together. Because when we do such personal work too, I think it's even more difficult at times to separate our sense of self-worth from what we do. And that's really, really important, but it's, it's difficult when we're pouring so much of ourselves into this very, very personal transformative work that, that we put out there. I agree. Another thing that, that can help uh, if any, any listener is going through something similar where they have that feeling where it's like, man, I'm, I'm worth more than I'm dealing with, or I'm worth more than I'm settling for. The, the number one thing I can tell you is to get exposure. I love the word exposure. So if you are growing up in a low 
a, a high crime, you know, low income environment, what are you seeing? You know, you're seeing maybe drug addicts. Maybe you're seeing a bunch of alcoholics. Maybe you're, you're not really seeing people go to work. You're not seeing someone who gets up at 630, you know, to make it to work and maybe they have on a nice suit or what, whatever, you know, your exposure is you're a bunch of, you're around a bunch of people who they're not really vibrating with you on a vibrational level. They're not really in alignment with, with your goals or what you're envisioning for your life. Uh, and so what, you, what I really recommend is you get exposure. You know, when I was in high school, I grew up middle class. Uh, we, we had enough, but we never had more than enough. You know, we, we had food on the table, but we weren't at restaurants. You know, we had Christmas, uh, but we weren't getting anything until Christmas, you know? So I, I grew up middle class. I'm grateful for uh, my ancestors and what my parents have done uh, to put us in a situation where we didn't, we didn't struggle with meals and things of that nature. But when you, when you, when you grow up middle class, you grow up restricted and the, the mindset is restricted. And I remember there was this girl, we lived in, uh, I lived in Palatine, Illinois. There was this girl I knew, she lived in Inverness, Illinois, right? Anybody uh, familiar or unfamiliar, look this up. Look up Barrington, Illinois, Barrington, and look up Inverness, they're right next to each other. Uh, every state has this place where that's where all the wealthy people live, where it's like mansions, huge lots, uh, Range Rovers, <laughs> Rolls Royces, just like, and, and I don't want, I don't want you to solely think this is, uh, you know, about the Range Rover. That's not, that's not what it's about. But I went to her house and it was like a group, it was like a group gathering. We're at her house. She's got a basketball court in the house. This is in high school. Uh, swimming court, uh, not swimming court, uh, swimming pool. Uh, dad was in the, her, her dad was in the back room and he had like, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard of man caves. He had like a man house. He had like a whole nother house in the back, on the back side of the house. Like, like it was just, it was just an insane way to, to see something when you're used to living in an apartment and it's five of you living in a tight two bedroom apartment, you're on top of each other all the time. And I go to this, basically what was a mansion. It might've just been like a four bedroom house, but to me, it felt like a mansion. And I just remember looking around, I'm like, wow, like, they have so much space. Like the dad has a little office over here. This kitchen is, is beautiful. There's space where multiple people could be in the kitchen. Like I grew up in apartments. It was super narrow. We couldn't all be in the kitchen. We used to, we used to only allow two people in the kitchen at a time. And so it's like you grow up and you're confined and you're restricted physically, but also your mind is confined and restricted. And one thing that really helps you is exposure going to this mansion when I was in high school just showed me what was possible. I had a friend named Mike Kruger and I used to go to his house. He was, uh, he was a year younger than me, football player. And, uh, he was on my, he was in my team on my team as well. And I would go to his house, his family, they ate every meal together, breakfast, well, breakfast and, and dinner, lunch, they wouldn't be there. You know, mom and dad would be at work. Kids would be at school. They ate breakfast and dinner together. And, it was so funny because both of the dads in each situation, because I talked to them, the dad with the big house and then the dad who the family ate together, I asked him like, how did you, how did you do this? You know, cause we didn't have this in my family. So I'm like, how did, how'd you guys do this? And the dad, Mike, my friend, Mike Kruger, his dad who ate together, he says, it's a part of our family tradition that we honor 
our meals together. So we eat together. So whatever I have to do to make sure I eat with my family, I'm going to eat with my family. And then the, uh, the other dad that had the big house, I'm like, dude, you have a basketball court, you know, <laughs> some people don't even have a basement and you have a basketball court. Like, you know, how did you, you know, how did you do this? And he said that it's very important in relationships that relationships have space. So I wanted to make sure that my family had enough space so we can always honor our relationships. And like that, those, those two conversations with those men changed me when I was in high school because I'm just like, wow, like, you know, oftentimes when we're, we're talking about wealth or we're talking about money, it's like people associated with, oh, well, people who have money don't care about anybody else or people who have money are evil or they're bad or they're greedy. This is the association we have. Yeah. Oh, well, if you care about money, you're materialistic. It's not true. It's, no, we have to break up with this mindset. It's it, it, like, it cannot go on anymore. It's okay to be heart-centered, to be loving, to be giving, and to be wealthy, and to have money, you know? It's okay. The man said he wanted more. He wanted to be okay from a wealth standpoint so he could have the space in his relationship so they're not sitting on top of each other. We all have either been in that situation or we know someone who's been in that situation where the, the main problem with your relationship is you see each other too much. You're around each other too much. You're on top of each other. There's no space to allow each other's bodies to breathe. And then with the, you know, Mike Kruger and his dad, he said, I don't care, you know, what job I have, we need to eat together. And he made sure that they always had dinner uh, and breakfast. And I, I just, I find myself now trying to do that with my son, you know, making sure that we eat together. We, at least one meal a day, we need to eat. If I'm not hungry and you're eating, I'm going to sit down and eat some cheese or something, but we need to, to, to have that bond. So, yeah. Creating those, those rituals, whatever, whatever way those take form and take shape, I think is really powerful for any type of relationship or family dynamic. And it's interesting you're, you're bringing this up because one of the, one of the other things that I feel like I've had to unlearn is the idea that you, you don't have to pick one or the other in terms of things like, um, either or situations. So like you having the, the super successful career and the beautiful relationship. Um, I know I've talked to a lot of moms out there who think that they can't necessarily be great moms and have the amazing job or the amazing career, but unpacking all those things and realizing that you can have both. You just might have to figure out how that is going to look for you specifically, as opposed to trying to achieve the societal ideal that has been held up for us. I agree. Oh yeah. The societal ideal, you can't chase that. That's not here to help any of us. No, it's definitely you not. You can't, you can't chase that. You know, it's, it's the game is, is, is really, you know, when you ask me, like, you know, describe who I am, the game is who are you in this moment? What do you have access to in this moment? What's available to you in this moment? Like today, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not chasing, you know, mm -mm, no, that's how you get hurt and disappointed and lost and confused. Attaching to outcomes and like setting expectations that are impossible to live up to as well. And then that also brings in depression and anxiety because depression is when we're stuck in the past. Anxiety is when we're stuck in the future. And the only way that we can really cultivate 
true joy is in the present moment, but that's what we tend to struggle with the most. I agree. I'm so much involved with that. What, okay, let's do another one here. How would you describe yeah. the feeling of being in love in one word? Mm. You ask a writer to do something in one word? <laughs> Brevity isn't my strong um, point either. <laughs> mm, one word. Fullness. Oh, that's beautiful. It's gotta be, right? I mean, oftentimes when we hear the, 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 the phrase in love, right? We're thinking in love with another person, right? But maybe we could think a little more expansive for a moment and maybe it doesn't have to be uh, attached to a person. Maybe it could be, you know, I'm going to uh, Florida next week and I'm picturing this moment. I haven't been to the beach in a year. I love the beach. And I'm just picturing this moment where I get to the beach and I just take however long I need to take to just sit there and to just reflect on what the last year has been, right? I'll be by myself on the beach, a place that I love. And that moment will most likely feel like a lot of love to be able to just feel the wind coming off of the ocean, uh, to be able just to hear the ocean, to be able to feel my, my feet uh, in the sand and just the warmth of the sand, you know, to be reminiscing on what the last year was, to be thinking about the people who are important. Like that moment is going to just allow me to fall in love with life. You know, I, I think of, you know, talking with my therapist this morning and it was just like the space that we had for that conversation was just a conversation of love, you know? And I think that anytime you have love or allow yourself to feel the love that's around you, it's just, it just creates an expression of fullness. You know, there's no empty, there's no empty. There's no, there's nothing missing. It's just, you're full. So love, yeah. In love, it, ha it has to be, uh, some type of reflection of fullness it has to be. How do you feel about, um, speaking of love, the idea of receiving love and why so many of us can struggle with that, with that idea of, of receiving love and, and surrendering to that? What are some of your thoughts around that? Yeah, I, I personally do not struggle with that. I, I'm good with compliments. I'm good with gifts. Uh, I'm good with love. I'm good with touch. I'm, I'm good with all of that. All the love languages. Yeah. You got them all yeah, covered. Yeah, I'm, I'll, it's, I'll take it. I'll take it. I no love problem. it. <laughs> no um, but I have a story for you. So I was in, uh, I was in, I was in Sprouts. This was uh, about four years ago. I was about to go out to San Diego to do a talk. And uh, man, I got this nice outfit on and looking good, you know, and uh, I was going to get some food real quick and then go to the airport. And I can't remember if I was walking out or walking in, but I know I was crossing and, you know, this grandmother was there. It wasn't my grandmother, but a grandmother was there. And she was like, oh, excuse me, oh, excuse me. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. And she goes, that outfit is beautiful. I really love those shoes you have on. Those are some really nice shoes. And 
I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I got these from Levi's. Uh, actually, I'm going out to LA uh, or I'm going out to San Diego. I was just in LA last week and I bought them there. You know, they were only like 30 bucks, you know? And she was like, hey, hey be quiet, stop. Don't do that. And I was like, don't do what? She goes, when someone gives you love, you take it, you accept it. You don't explain, you don't justify, you take it because you deserve to be loved. I mean, it changed my life. When she told me that, I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. Never saw her again, don't know who she was. She, I mean, maybe people believe in angels. She had to have been an angel. Maybe, maybe it was my grandmother who passed in 2012 and my grandmother wanted to come send me a message through her. Maybe, maybe if you believe in that kind of stuff. But that moment changed my life. And we do that, you know, we, we all do that. Oh, your hair looks nice. Oh, my little, my little yoga bun. Like, why are you doing that? It looks We nice. think it's being humble. We, I think yeah. a lot of us mistake it as being humble and, and that we think that we should because otherwise we'll come across as arrogant. But that, that's actually not even the case. And you know what it is? It's actually disrespectful to the person that's trying to give you love. Mm, yeah. To then just say, oh, well, let me explain or justify why I don't fully need to receive this comment you're giving me. And, and, and for, for a second, we, we know that there's a difference between like a genuine comment and someone just saying something because they're, you know, they're trying to play some game with you. Like we, we know that, right? Energetically, you can tell. But if someone is genuinely trying to do something for you, they're trying to make a comment, uh, be there for you, show up for you, whatever it is, we disrespect them by not allowing them to do that. It's just like when someone's like, hey, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing's wrong. That person is actually trying to give you the space to, to, to whatever's on your soul, to get it off of your soul, to get it off of your body. And you lie to them and say, nothing's wrong. You're, you're disrespecting them, right? You're disrespecting that opportunity I love. And that's what that, that's what that grandmother taught me is like, she didn't have to say anything to me. She saw beauty in me. Yes, physical beauty and physical beauty still matters. And she saw beauty in me. Maybe she felt my energy. Maybe she's, who knows? But she, she took her time to be respectful and to be tactful and to acknowledge me. So what I owe her is thank you. Now when that happens, like yesterday, I was out for a walk. I usually, usually do two walks a day, at least one. I went for a three mile walk yesterday. And I have these really bright orange uh, Adidas shoes that I walk in. And these are like, you know, you, you've heard the term like everyday driver, like the car you drive every yep. day. Yeah, I wear these shoes every day. If I can find a reason <laughs> to wear these bright orange Adidas shoes, I'm going to wear them. <laughs> and um, I'm out and this girl is walking her dog with her boyfriend, maybe maybe husband. And she was just like, hey, love your shoes. And and now because I had that experience three, four years ago, I just looked up, looked her right in the eye. And I was like, hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I love these shoes too. And so I had to train myself to go from you know, explaining or justifying or being humble, as you say, to just being in, we talked about being in love, right? To being in the fullness of that moment to just say, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Not And not even feel like I need to compliment her back because that's another thing people do. Yeah. Like, oh, well, that person complimented me. I need to compliment them back. You don't have to. No, you don't have to do that. You that's always I mean, like you can. keeping a tally in relationships, which is like a killer of relationships too. <laughs> yeah. 
just just a full acknowledgement. I, any person struggling with that, just use this phrase, full acknowledgement. Just give, give back full acknowledgement because people are taking time to acknowledge you. Give back full acknowledgement. That's it. And, and sit with it for a moment and just, just honor that moment. You know, that's it. I, I can feel the fullness of, of love just hearing that story about the grandmother. And then, you know, we also, I, I'm, I'm also thinking of so many examples where I've given a compliment, someone actually received it and how much joy that brought me as opposed to somebody brushing it off or whatever, which I have absolutely been guilty of as well. But what, a, what an incredible story about the grandmother. And it sounds like she was meant to, to remind you of that so that you could share this story today. <laughs> Yeah, I'll never That's amazing. Her. I'll never That's incredible. <laughs> what are you still trying to prove to yourself? Hmm. Prove might not be the right word for me. What are you still trying to teach yourself? I think the right word for me might be, might be to let go of. Mm. I think, I think, I think, yeah. I, like, for example, like when I met with my therapist, there was um, a couple of threads that we talked about this morning. And the three main threads is we talked about, um, um, we talked about self-hatred, we talked about shame, and we talked about um, self-compassion. So, the details obviously was like, it was like a two hour conversation, but those were the three threads we talked about. And just to summarize, so um, I have no problem talking about this, by the way. So I grew up an athlete, football player, I ran track. Uh, I started lifting weights. Let's just, let's just, instead of touching on all of them, let's just, let's just touch on self-hatred. Okay. Because I think that that could offer the most value to your audience right now. And football player, track uh you know so it's highly explosive bench press squat sprinting it's a lot of like uh explosive dynamic working out and i started working out when i was 14 and there was some shame that got put in me because of a comment that my grandfather used to always make when i used to come around he used to always say look at these little chicken bones you got and he'd grab my little biceps you know, I'm a little boy, he grabbed my little biceps and he's like, you don't have any muscles on there. You just have these, these little chicken bones. Uh, and I didn't know what was happening, but it, it developed a shame wound in me where every time I came around him, I had to internally make myself feel strong. So I would do that. I would talk louder. Uh, when I wasn't with him, I'm doing all types of push-ups and training just to, just to get myself to be strong. Also, uh, just growing up with my dad, my dad, he was a former uh, United States military guy and he also was an alcoholic. And so you can imagine how United States military, extreme discipline, extreme focus, and then you living, living with an alcoholic, you know, you basically don't know what parent you're going to get that day. <laughs> it just depends on what, where their alcohol level is at. So for me, working out in physical fitness actually became a place of uh, survival because I felt like I had to literally be strong because father and grandfather were, father was physically attacking me and grandfather was emotionally attacking me, right? 
So I'm 35 now. I started working out when I was 14. Uh, high school football, I played college football, and then arena football. So the whole time, football like in sports and weightlifting was a survival technique. It wasn't, I wasn't out there because I genuinely liked to play or even because I was good. It was really a survival technique. Even my mindset for playing sports was if I do this, I may uh, secure enough income or excuse me, if I, if I do this, I may get a, a scholarship so then I can get out of the house and get the hell away, <laughs> right? Which is a survival technique. And then my mindset was I'll make enough money to where I can move away and live not, nowhere near this place as a kid. So fast forward and it comes to, let's just go to like a year ago. I still work out. I still train. I still eat pretty well, but I'm the guy, I'm the fit guy with a little bit of belly. Like I'm like that guy. And so I was telling my therapist, I'm like, you know, I'm just tired of it. You know, I'm just tired of it because I know how to eat well, but then like, you know, I snack well as well, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> right? I snack well. I snack well, eat well, you know? That's a whole love language right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, snacking is a love language, baby. Snacking so is definitely mine. <laughs> my therapist was like, well, you know, how do you feel about your belly right now? And I was like, well, I feel great because it's going away. Like, I can see my abs coming in. I'm meeting with my nutritionist. And uh, I'm not going to have a belly in about 12 weeks. You know, it's just going to be rock hard ass. And he was like, well, are you going to be happy then? I said, well, I'm happy now. And he was like, no, don't play with me. Are you going to be happy when the belly goes away? And I'm like, well, you know, yeah. And you know how therapists, they're always like trying to <laughs> dig. They're just trying to always. dig at you, you know? <laughs> they and see right through us. <laughs> he goes, I don't want you to continue this journey of getting rid of your belly with self-hatred attached, attached to it. Because you'll get rid of the belly, but the self-hatred will still be there. And I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking about it like, wait a minute, I don't hate myself though. I, I love myself, but my particular mindset with this is, uh, is a reflection of self-hatred, it is. And so I had this moment this morning where I had to think like, wow, I love my life and I love myself, but with this specific thing, that self-hatred thing. And so he told me, he goes, your work for the next week is to bring self-compassion to your belly and I want you to hold your belly and grab it and talk to it and apologize to it. That is the only part of my body that I quote unquote don't love in comparison to all the other parts, right? Like I have great chest, great backs, muscles, calves, like everything else is great, right? I have no content. I have no, uh, but when it comes to that, I'm like, there is self-hatred there. So before, you know, so before my, before this 12 week journey is up with my nutritionist, I have to acknowledge the pain that I've carried that started with grandfather, that continued with father and that I continued in my adulthood. And I have to allow, uh, we call it a grief ritual. I have to allow myself to grieve all of that and just to honor it and to, to let it go. So at the end of this 12 weeks, when the the physical body is represented the, 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 in the ideal that I'm looking for, 
the emotional body will also match it. Because if you get the physical body without the emotional body, what do you have? You know, so it's it, it's about my work right now is just bringing that emotional body, you know, forward and just honoring the old body and the old behaviors. Because specifically, the reason why I had I had the belly, and I'm not talking about anybody else's body right now. I know body image is something that a lot of people struggle with, but for me my problem was i lied to myself because i know how to eat healthy i'm gonna get five to six ounces of chicken or salmon and you know about this much carbs because they say make it about your you know your, your your size of your fist you know a serving of veggies drink some water you're good to go but i'm having like two pieces of cake i'm having cookies i'm having ice cream all this stuff so my lie was i eat healthy so i can just have a little snack here and there that was my lie and I had to bring, when I met with my, my nutritionist, I had to bring my lie to the table because she asked, she's like, okay, uh, so what do you eat? You know, do, 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 do. And I just had to say, okay, you know what? I do eat good, but this is my lie that I tell myself. So when I, when I came, when I brought my lie to the surface, I brought my shame to the surface. And that's how I was keeping my shame embedded in me is I was lying. So for anybody going through something similar, if you bring your lie to the surface, you bring your shame to the surface. Now, when you bring those to the surface and you meet them with that compassion and you allow other people to witness it, I'm not saying they go away instantly, but I'm saying then, then they begin to metabolize. But if you keep the lie, you're going to keep the shame and you're going to keep it in your physical body and in your emotional body and your vibration will be lower you know, your vibration will be lower because you're choosing to keep the light on you. This is hard work, especially if it's something you struggle with. So the work for us and me is really to figure out what lies we're telling ourselves because our lies are also supporting our behaviors, right? Your mind supports your behaviors, your behavior creates your life. So what lie are you telling yourself that's keeping you in behaviors that's keeping you out of alignment with the life that you want to live. And that is where we, 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 we begin to unpack the shame. And that is when we allow new behaviors to come in, new mindsets to come in. And that is where, when I talked about allowing that old self to die, that's how you do that. You, you, you unpack that lie. That lie is the key. What lie are you telling yourself right now? We all know. Anybody listening to this, we know. Yeah, I'm lying to myself about this. And it's it's probably time, which is the self-hatred. It's probably time I stop doing that. It's probably time I, I be honest. And it might be hard. It might even feel impossible, but it's not. And also, don't do this alone. I just mentioned that I'm meeting with my therapist. I'm meeting with uh, my dietitian, my, my my best friends know everybody who knows everybody who knows me knows my lie and they know my shame, because I had to tell my community first, before you know you're not going to get over anything until you admit what the problem is. So I had to tell my community first, like, look, I'm struggling with this. I'm tired of being the fit guy. That's not fit. I just want to be fit, you know, and. I know that some people can get caught up in like, you know, again, like this ideal body, 
but is to me is deeper than that because there's the emotional connection there's the behaviors there's the mindset there's the self-compassion there's the self-hatred and all of that is what i'm after i'm after the fullness i'm after the full view of it you know in buddhism they call it uh the right view right i'm after the right view the right view doesn't mean being right or wrong that's how americans talk right view means seeing the full perspective of a situation it means if you're in an argument with your with your husband or wife you you have your points and your points matter but also seeing their point and also seeing the third body which is the collective relationship together and then just seeing seeing what that is the right view is to see everything fully that's what i'm after right now i'm after the right view i'm tired of any of my lies i can't lie to myself anymore i'm done with that lying to myself is self-hatred you know if you lie to yourself you lie to everybody else easily i'm i'm tired of that i'm tired of that because what happens is it causes you to stay in your shame it causes you to not show up fully as yourself it causes you to not get what you are worth it causes you to play small it causes you uh to compare yourself it, it causes you to chase dreams that aren't yours and what i'm after is living um What I'm after is unlearning things that have held me back so I can figure out exactly who I am each single day. That's what I'm after. And isn't that the, the ultimate journey for all of us, really, is to unlearn all of the things that we allow to keep ourselves from reaching our own individual full potential, not the potential that somebody else is holding up for us or the ideal that somebody else is holding up for us, but what we are put here to do and the sense of purpose that we can cultivate from within that. And even, I, I really think that it's it's just amazing that you, you bring up this entire community aspect because I think so many of us have shifted and especially during the pandemic, it's been difficult because so many of us are feeling so disconnected both physically and and otherwise in a lot of ways that it's i i'm hoping that it will drill down the value of connection and support and community more so from this because i think we're we're all really seeing how much we're hurting from having a lack of community right now more than ever before and that's where connection is is born and we can't just look to you know, our partner to be our everything. That's way too much pressure on, on the, the other person, on the relationship. Like you're asking for, for problems there. And when we can go to different people for different things and cultivate that network of, of support, there is nothing more beautiful than that. Some, something that I have really struggled with in the last year was feeling undeserving of my incredible support system. And I had to unpack that because it was like, why, why do I feel that I don't deserve this level of support? Because I recognized my, my privilege in it and that so many other people don't have that kind of a support system. But then it started to occur to me, maybe I have this level of support because I require it and it's necessary for me to grow into the full person that I need to be to also give back to others and be part of others' support systems as well. And obviously like taking a look at that underlying like unworthiness and sense of, of uh, not enoughness for myself too, but there's so much value in that support and the connection that can be cultivated from that and bringing those things to the surface and not abandoning ourselves by believing our own lies to keep us small. 
Yeah, the community, if you think about it, if we go back and we think even before the industrial revolution, I mean, we just like really go back in history uh, before radio, even before television, uh, we were always in community, always. Always. All people across all countries, all nations were always in community. So that's deeply coded in our DNA to be in community. And um, I think that has a lot to do with some of the, you know, depression that people may feel because they feel like they're alone. And that's why when my challenges come, like I'm, I'm challenging you to do whatever you have to do to heal, to, to grow, to focus, wherever you are, but to do it in community. You know, that's, that's my challenge for people. You have to do it in community. And um, for us, the technology we have give, gives us an advantage to the, to the fact that we can have a community in Florida, in Chicago, in, in Spain, in Israel. We can have community in different places. We can have friends and family in different places. We, we don't even have to use those terms. It could just be someone we love. You know, we can have someone we love in Hawaii. And I just think it's beautiful because we have the opportunity to have uh, access to different communities that, you know, maybe our ancestors didn't have access to, you know, and I, I think, you know, you're talking about privilege. Like it is privilege to be able to have all of these opportunities around us. And I feel like we owe it to our ancestors to lean into the opportunities that are around us. You know, we have to, especially when we're talking about at the beginning, we we're talking about like worth, you know, from an entrepreneur standpoint or even just, it doesn't even have to be entrepreneur, just, you know, just getting what you're worth in a career situation. I think about it like this. My ancestors didn't go through what they went through. They didn't go through their hardships. They didn't go through what they went through. So I could come to this life and play small. They didn't do that for me to play small. They need me to get the best, to extract the best, to extract the most, to extract fullness out of this experience. I owe, I owe that to them. That's what I feel. I owe that to them. And I have a lot of privileges. And I, I don't feel guilt for any of my privileges. I feel like I owe it to my ancestors to move forward. And especially being a father now, I feel like, you know, my son is going to have maybe a son or daughter. Maybe. I'm not putting any pressure on him. But he might. And it's like I'm now responsible for a family tree. You know, when you become a parent, you, you think about that. Like, you're responsible for a family tree. Like you are actually now training to be an ancestor. You are now training to be a leader. Like you're no longer just a kid now. Like you are the, the, the uncle someone's gonna ask advice for. You're gonna be the grandfather, the grandmother. So it's like, huh, who do I wanna be? You know, do I wanna be kid me? Or do I wanna be that grandmother that said, hey, you need to take this love, you know? So we have choices here. It reminds me of, of a quote that I heard from you that I just thought was so well, well put when you said, I don't want to die with my ideas and to live full and die empty. And I really think that, that you, you, from all outward appearances anyway, really live up to that to the best possible way of, of your ability because you don't want to play small. You are recognizing the privileges and, and, and using those to maximize whatever you can because of what your ancestors went through so that you could experience the fullness of everything that life has to offer at this point. I think that's so well put. Live full, die empty. I like the word maximize, you know, because I, I didn't have a lot of privileges. I didn't have the privilege that uh, some other people had. But like I said, 
you know, we had food on the table and we had bills paid and I had hand-me-down clothes, but I had clothes. I, I wasn't outside. And my parents, they made sure, you know, they made mistakes, but they made sure that I was in a good school and they made sure that I got an education and they made sure that, uh, they made sure that I went for what I wanted to go for. You know, they made sure that I pushed. They wouldn't, they wouldn't settle for bad grades. You know, and I know, I know school is just school to some people. I know grades is just grades to some people, but for me, it was like they gave me the, the the behavior to go after what I want, and yeah, I'm not playing small. I didn't come here for that. Good. I didn't come here for that. You know, if I'm gonna play small, I'm gonna stay at home, eat some cereal, and just play video games all day. Which you know, nothing wrong with that because I love I love that as well. <laughs> but I just feel like there's so much available to us. And my question is, what is that so much? I just want to find out what that so much is. I just I will use the word exposure. I just want to be exposed to what that so much is so I can figure out uh, exactly what I want, you know, exactly what I, because I, I get I get to choose. When I saw uh, in high school, a freaking basketball court in someone's house, that let me know that that is an option for me if I choose. That's all I want to know. I just want to know what's available. That's it what's available so I can choose. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I want to be respectful of your time. Are you okay for another few minutes? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. I, I have, I have another one I want to ask you because I feel like this could go a number of different directions. What is the most pain you've ever been in that wasn't physical? Hmm. What's the most pain? This might be the greatest podcast question of all time. <laughs> What's the most pain you've ever been in that wasn't physical? Um, you know, senior night in high school football, my senior year, uh, not having my parents there when we lived across the street from the high school, knowing that they were at home drinking. Granted, I had a younger brother and sister. I still felt like my brothers and sisters uh, should have been at the game. I felt like they should have saw me play. I felt like they should have saw the love that my school was giving me, the, the love that my teachers gave me, um, that other students gave me. I felt like they should have been there to witness that, to be a part of that. Uh, I felt like my parents should have been there, uh, you know, walking out with, you know, it's 18 seniors or 20 seniors, however many. And I'm walking out with my coach and my teammates are walking out with mom and dad or just dad or just mom or whoever, but they had somebody. That, I mean, that was probably one of the most painful things because you then you have to go play the football game. I wasn't even there. My, my mind was not even there. I didn't even care about the game. It was just, you know, to be announced with coach, you know? So that, that was definitely, um, yeah, that one hurt. That one hurt. So, you know, whenever you guys see me in five to 10 years and I'm at my son's practice <laughs> and I'm at his games and I'm I'm that loud, obnoxious parent screaming, <laughs> that's my son, you know why. And if they have to kick me out, they got to kick me out. But I'm going to make sure that that part of the family tree gets cut off and a new branch is going to be born where we're going to show up for each other and we're going to express and show uh, that love that's inside of us that that ha that has to change for me yeah 
Great it question. takes it, it will take so much strength to break these these generational patterns that get repeated. It takes a huge amount of strength to break our own patterns as well. But oh, those are often you know usually related to the the um, patterns that have been passed down to us or the stories that have been passed down to us. And I give anyone who has the strength to break those those patterns a huge amount of credit because it's just such an incredible example of turning your your pain into a deeper sense of meaning and purpose and then deciding what you're going to do with it and how you're going to do things differently moving forward instead of a lot of times it would be easier to just repeat the pattern in some cases but sometimes when we really recognize it for what it is and we can unpack some of that it would actually be more painful to repeat the pattern too. It's all about how you end up viewing it. Yeah, to repeat the pattern. Nah, there's some other patterns I may repeat, but not that one, not that one. No, we have to change that. What, what my parents did well, one thing my dad did well is, <laughs> I remember when I was in peewee football, he almost fought my coach because my, it, was, it, was, it was race driven that none of the black players got to play. And my dad was like, look, if you don't play my son, I'm gonna beat your ass. That's what he told the coach. He says, I'm gonna fight you right here. My son is the best player out here. You have your son at quarterback. And that's how it always happens. The coach's kid is always the quarterback. Like he's always the star of the team. And my dad was like, look, if you don't play my son, I'm gonna fight you. And <laughs> Uh, kind of extreme, but hey, you know, I, I started playing. <laughs> I started, I got in the game. I'm scoring touchdowns. You know, I was, I became a running back. I was doing well. This was a peewee. And uh, that was cool. Like, I'm glad that my dad showed up that way. Another thing he did when I was, uh, when I got in my first fight, he was actually on the balcony with his video camera out and he was recording. <laughs> and, uh, I got in a fight with this kid named Angel. He was like two grades older than me. I think I was third grade. I think he was fifth grade, something like that. And uh, he like grabs me. He puts his like left foot behind me, trips me to the ground. And, um, you know, it was my first fight. So I didn't know what to do. And so my dad, he's he sprints from the house and he's just running out there. And he's about to beat up this teenager, essentially. What are you in fifth grade? How old are you? Like, I guess you're 11. Yeah, I think 11. Yeah, he's almost a teenager. You know, I'm okay, still a kid. He's enough. almost a teenager. He was way bigger than me. Two and years is dad, a big difference at that age. <laughs> yeah. So, like, my dad is about to beat this kid up. And <laughs> so he, like, separates us and he just grabs me and we're walking back to the house. And he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, so uh, how did that feel? I'm like, you know, and I'm crying. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm doing that. And he's like, yeah, you know, uh, it didn't feel good. And he's like, so you probably want to learn how to fight, huh? You probably don't want that to happen again, do you? And I'm like, no, I don't. And so the very next day we started training. But the thing is, is my dad, he had his own karate gym when he was in high school. Oh. So he he used to train kids in the neighborhood and he used to train them and teach them how to fight and teach them self-defense. And so he was like, okay, we're going to start training tomorrow. And so the very next day, he's got me up in the morning. He's got, he's got me teaching. He taught me how to put my guard up, how to fight, how to throw a punch, how to like all types of stuff. Like he, he instilled so much confidence in me uh, to defend myself, you know, and I'm, I'm super grateful for that because I feel like you need that. I feel like that gives you, uh, especially if you're like the leader of your household or, you know, when you do have kids, like 
I feel like if somebody tried to kidnap my kid and 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 I'm right there, it's gonna be a problem for them, you know. And just having that confidence as as a provider, as a as a caregiver, that goes a long way, you know. And even for me, I have probably less anxiety around people than most people because most people can't beat me up. So <laughs> so I'm not worried about anything, you know. Like I'm around uh, people and I'm just like, oh, this this situation is fine. I'm not. I'm not worried, you know, I'm fine, you know. And so I'm grateful for him for that. Another thing he gave me is um, he used to always say, when things don't go your way, don't put your head down. He says, because when you put your head down, you're going, you're going to miss the lesson. Oh, that you is have good. To keep your, yeah, he says, you have to keep your head up so you can see what the purpose of that was. So that, that was a good one. That, yeah, I always kept that one with me. That's a fantastic lesson. That that's the thing is that whenever whenever shit feels really hard, I always try to look at it as okay, how can I turn this into the best thing to ever happen to me? Where's where's the growth here? Now we can take that a little bit too far because sometimes you have to you have to just sit in the discomfort and in the grief first before you can get to that point. You can't skip that stage or it will come back and bite you later. But I do think that there, that there's a huge amount of value in that and keeping your head up to to get the lesson that's really really powerful when you know, my, oh sorry go ahead no i was gonna say one that my mom gave me too see because i'm gonna keep it honest you know i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about what you did you know to mess things up but i gotta give you your credit and just of as course well. i think <laughs> i think that speaks to the fullness i will hope my son would do the do the same um my mom always said if you don't know ask and that's so simple but she would always say, if you don't know, ask. She would say it all the time. And that's because she was highly intelligent. And I think she wanted to let me know what she knew. <laughs> but, you know, how many times do we do that? We just pretend to know. Or we just, even if you're telling a story you, and, and you're, you saw some movie, and you're like, hey, you remember that movie? Da, da, da? And the other person's like, oh, yeah, 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 I saw it. It's like, no, you didn't. You didn't see <laughs> You have movie. no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about, but you're just agreeing. Like, instead, just say, no, you don't know the song or you don't know the movie. You don't know. Now I can teach you or you, you can be taught, you know? So that's one thing for sure that I think has helped me is, you know, if you don't know, ask for sure. I think that's especially powerful to be passed on to you as, as a male too, because there's sort of that running joke and, and stereotype that like men won't ask for directions or like men won't ask for help because they can do their own thing and it's fine. And no, nobody help me. I'm good. <laughs> so I think that's really powerful, especially to be passed on to any of the men out there because everyone needs help. It comes back to that community aspect too. And tying that all in with, with relying on other people as opposed to thinking that you're somehow this fountain of knowledge from within that you can just come up with any answer you need to by yourself. <laughs> right. I, I agree. There's a lot of men, a lot of men need to say, bro, help me, <laughs> help me. I don't know a lot of men yeah. that I know. Yeah. 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 And men are just left often so undersupported in so many ways. I, I think a lot of those, because a lot of the stereotypes just get perpetuated throughout the generations and it's, it's, starting to improve but there's a long way to go when it comes to men's mental health for sure men, men are definitely under supported and one thing that we can do is i'm actually in two men's groups and so i'll tell the, the kind of the framework for how that works uh so i started one and then i got invited to another one and basically what we do is we pick a topic or, or theme uh, and we find some type of um, like supporting material 
you know, so we've done audio books, we've done different podcasts, uh, we've even just met and just talked freely amongst ourselves. But, but, you know, a lot of the time as a guy, when you get together with other guys, initially, it's usually surface level, how are the Lakers doing? How's your girl? How are your kids? Like, that's really what it is, right? So it's like, or how's your car? How's your motorcycle? You know, the stuff that, that guys care about, but it's like, okay, cool, do that do that because you're used to doing that. But also like, I want to invite you to some of those conversations you don't have, like the ones talking about your belly, or maybe maybe you, you didn't close a deal you wanted to close, uh, whatever it is, let's just get past the, the, the sport talk. Let's get past talking about women and let's just talk about our inner workings. You know, as men, I feel like if you create a men group, with the with that intention every single man will get a great benefit i know because i'm in two and we meet we meet once a week uh for 90 minutes and it's just a safe space as a man where you can be seen where you can be witnessed by other men you know and it's not about we don't we don't come with with ego it's not oh well i make more than you or i drive it's like it's it's none of that surface level bullshit that stops us from our healing so any man that's listening or any woman that knows a man who, who, who needs that space, the, the invitation is create a man's group or join one because there, there may be one uh, that exists. And, you know, maybe you can't do that because I know the first excuse is going to be, well, my guys around me where I live, they're not really into that kind of stuff. Cool. We all have social media. You all follow people that you like, admire, respect. So maybe try to get five or six of these guys from social media that you like in my respect, get on the phone with them for an hour, let them know what you're 20 minutes, whatever, let them know what you're thinking of building. Cause that's what I did when I started mine, I, I made a list. I'm like, okay, I'm going to call these nine guys. And I went through one Saturday. I called every single, I didn't text them. Hey bro, got an idea. No, I got on the phone and I called them and I was actually screaming the first two because I was like, yo, I got this idea. I was just, I was just so excited. I had to calm down. <laughs> but I just told him what I wanted to do. Like I set the intention. I set the boundaries for the group. Not a single guy said no, because all guys want this. Like we all want a space where we can be seen. Like the stuff that I so freely talk about the you know, mom, dad, this emotional stuff with my therapist. Like the only reason I can do that is because I'm in practice doing that. I practice doing that. It's also a part of my work. So it's, it's, it's easy for me to do that. But it's not easy for most guys because that's not what they're, they're not in practice with that. So for you guys who are, you know, in a practice of keeping things to yourself, acting like everything's okay, acting like you're, you're not, you're, you know, whatever, I'm just, I'm just inviting you as another man, uh, you know, to just create the space you need. That's it, man. Just, just create the space you need. And if any guys, you know, if you need any any tips or advice beyond that on how to formulate the, the group, reach out to me and I'll, I'll just tell you whatever I can about the group. So, you know, so you can create your own. You're setting such an incredible example by actually living it because, you know, we can all talk a big game, but it's a matter of, of what we actually do as opposed to what we say. And all of us at the end of the day just want to feel seen, heard and, and understood. That's all any human wants ever. And yet we hold back so much. And then we just walk around feeling misunderstood and lonely and, and alone. And we wonder why it's because we aren't allowing anyone in. We, we aren't allowing any of that to actually happen and anything to bloom from that.
or and I agree. I agree with you. <laughs> okay, I want to wrap up because I we are going over time here, and I don't want to keep you all day. So I, one one really quick question I have is mm -hmm. about the boundaries between personal and public life for you. And I'm always curious about this for anyone in the public space because it's something that I I battle with myself sometimes, and I've had to set some some major boundaries around it um, in order to keep me feeling secure while also still sharing because I think it's it's trickier in the space that we're in when we are you know writing and teaching about topics that can be so close to our own hearts and the the inherent vulnerability in that is is a lot sometimes and how do you kind of handle that especially because like your work is is incredibly vulnerable I think I think you have to really tune in and see what feels uh, appropriate, you know? So when I talk about my mom or dad, it's because I have a lot of closure there. And so because I have closure, I can freely talk about that stuff. If I felt like I was actively working on it and I was like, you know, unsure, kind of wobbly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Also with them, I'm comfortable with talking about the pain that they caused or triggered but not in a I'm mad at you way or I'm pissed at you. It's more of a, you know, you they probably they probably didn't even know or recognize. They probably just went with the programming that they had and they probably felt like they did the best that they could, which is okay. Um, but I also can acknowledge that, you know, the efforts I saw and acknowledge like, you know, the work that they did that I have no clue that I'm not even privy to the work that they did to try to make sure that I always had lunch, you know? Um, with my kid, for example, I've never posted a picture of his face because I haven't talked to him. He hasn't given me permission to post his face. He is his own entity. So yeah, he is my kid, but I don't own him and I don't own his image. So I personally, this is just me because I have like 600,000 people on Instagram. <clears throat> I don't feel like I need to be sharing his image because right now with that type of following, I feel like just this is just me it feels like i would be doing it as a look at me type thing you know i got a cute kid you know he's a good looking dude and <laughs> I, I feel no like doubt. you know i feel like yeah i'm not gonna post him because he hasn't given me permission to but i will post a picture of me and him with his face hidden because that will show what I feel like is something I'm very proud of, which is our closeness and our togetherness, the intimacy of me holding him. We hug all the time. Every time before he goes to sleep, I do the same thing. I've been doing it since he was little. He's only one, but since he was little, you know, like smaller, smaller. And I rub his belly. I do two circles on his belly. I do two circles on his head every single night. That's you know, so but sweet. like <laughs> something like that, I'm not going to put that online because that is just special between me and him. I have no problem talking about it, you know, in this format, because this is like a safe, intimate space. But like, you know, I'm not going to just make a video like, hey, come record me rubbing my kid's belly and rubbing his head and telling him I love him before he goes. No, I'm not going to make that video because that does nothing. But I mean, what what does it do? Maybe serve my ego, maybe run up the likes. And is that my mission? No. So I'm not going to post something like that. But he just had his birthday uh, two weeks ago. So I may post a photo in a week or so to just literally say, hey, my kid just had his birthday. Now it's going to be a month late, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I'm not I'm not here to allow y'all to keep up with with my life. 
people follow me to keep up with my work, you know, and even though my work can be derived from different aspects of my life, my work and my life are separate things. So there's a boundary there. So when I allow it to blend, I have to make sure that I'm comfortable and I have to make sure that, you know, I feel like I'm respecting the boundaries of whoever else may be involved. Like my kid has not given me permission to share his image. So I'm not going to share his face until he gives me permission. Even if he's five and he's like, yeah, daddy, take a picture of me, share a picture of me. Like, I'm going to make sure he understands, hey, I'm sharing this. He may not understand the capacity of what a social media is, but until he gives me his permission, I'm not going to show his face, like just explicitly, like, here's my little baby boy, you know? So I think each person is different. You know, some people make money off that. Hey, here's my kid. Here's my... Uh, here's this problem I'm going through. Here's it. You know, I got my, my molar taken out uh, a few weeks ago and I decided to show that, to show that whole process of me getting my tooth taken out. I made a video when I was like drugged up on medicine. Um, I decided to show that because, you know, that's a vulnerable side of me that I don't mind sharing. You know, it's just like you know, a little surgery, you know. I think that that's, I think that was cool to just bring people closer in. Like, oh, so this guy has surgery too, you know? But to share like my me rubbing his belly and his head twice, nah, that's personal, that's intimate, that's sacred, that stays home. I, I was gonna use the word sacred. Like there, there is like a, a certain sacred intimacy that I think that we have to maintain in those, in those relationships with the people closest to us. Yeah. Sylvester, how can people connect with you? Let us know. Well, I mean, um, I use social media, you know, I use, uh, I use, I use the website, sylvestermcnutt.net. I'm everywhere. If you type my name in, you'll find me, whatever you need. If you need the podcast, I'm there. If you want tweets, I'm there. If you want Instagram, <laughs> I'm there. You like YouTube, whatever you want, I got it for you. So you not to just, mention all of your books. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got, I got books and courses, all that. Um, just come to sylvestermcnutt.net see what you like, see what you find. I'm there. I'm everywhere. I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll be listing everything in, in the show notes too, so that everybody can connect with you. Okay. Right, and then you. just one more question. If you could give people one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? Uh, don't take anybody advice who answers that question. <laughs> That's the best answer I've ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> like listen you're just coming in on like the best the best answer and you're going out on the best answer <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this just ask questions you know ask questions you know like why do I think this way why am I behaving this way you know just like you know introspect why why am I okay but without shame that's you know if you're doing it with shame that's when we bring in that self-hatred. Like, what? why am I behaving this way? Oh, because of X, Y, Z. Oh, okay. Well, what's available to me now? Can I behave a different way? Hmm, maybe. Maybe I need to show my community what I'm doing and ask them to hold me. Okay, now you got progress. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just ask. Beautiful answer. Sylvester, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. This has just been incredible. And I, I stole way too much of your time. So I'm so, I'm even Thank extra you. appreciative. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. It means the absolute world to me, and I'm so grateful. For any references in the episode and all show notes, be sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. And if this episode touched your heart, it would mean so much if you would take a quick second to hit subscribe, write a review, and share on social media or with someone who really needs to hear today's message. It makes such a difference to keep this podcast going so I can continue to bring you amazing content and absolutely incredible guests. Be sure to tag me over on Instagram at Emily Goff Coach so that I can thank you in real time for listening and connect with you. We're back every Tuesday and Thursday with new episodes and I'm looking forward to growing with you. Thank you.